Turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f*** up. Yeah, so ch- cheers. cheers. I know, Mike, you're you're making this an after dark on your own. Um, so we're good good to go. Today, we're, we're excited to have Daniel Murray with us. He's, he's a marketing operations solutions consultant at Clearbit and is also the co-host of another podcast, Marketing the Millennials. Uh, he's been in and around marketing and marketing ops most of his career after having played football in college. And in addition, he's also an advisor and investor in some early stage companies. Daniel, thanks for joining us today. Super stoked to be on this podcast. Well, I think we're more excited than you. So there you go. <laughs> um, so I, I did I did take a listen to some of the Marketing Millennials podcast episodes. And uh, I, I would recommend it to people who are interested in kind of the broader marketing uh, topics that you cover. But as you've talked to people in those in in your podcast and your experience as a consultant and, and others, you come across people from other kind of other areas of marketing. Yeah, what are some of the things that you've learned from that in your own experience that would would be beneficial for the folks who are our listeners in marketing ops? Yeah, I think one of the most important things and why I started the marketing millennials is for marketing ops people. I think that you should learn the broader sense of marketing, like all topics to understand how to put the pieces together. A lot of marketing ops people are very technical. They get how to do things, they get data, but when you don't understand like the top level marketing things, it's hard to connect the dots on process and data and insights for your marketing leaders. So the one thing that I've learned is like, just even getting information from all these different marketing leaders, it helps me talk better in conversations with them. It helps me get better solutions to people. It helps me connect dots on why this channel is underperforming and overperforming. So I think like in a broader sense, it helps you become a better marketing ops professional when you learn the broader sense of marketing and why different marketing leaders are making different decisions. I, I, uh, that was something that you and I caught up, um, you shared that with me, you know, kind of on our one-on-one that we were having the other day about some other things. And I, I, that resonates so much with me personally. And I'm curious to hear Naomi's thoughts on it too, but you know, it seems like some of the standout, you know, folks that are sort of climbing the corporate ladder, so to speak, if that's your ambition in marketing ops, um, and you want to maybe move up in terms of leadership and stuff like that. It seems like one of the ways to do that is, is by trying to understand more broadly the the kind of plethora of marketing activities that are out there. Um, and, and maybe that's like one of the steps that you can take is trying to go learn the rest of that stuff. Does that resonate with, with you, Naomi? Like, what do you yeah, think? And I think this is something that I've kind of touched on before where I actually don't really like the term marketing operations because I feel like it pigeonholes, right? Like, especially once you start getting to a, um, 
once you start getting to a point where you have a mature technology stack and instead of like finding new tools to acquire, you're actually looking at optimizing the existing ones or looking at alternative vendors to replace existing tools that you already have in your stack, right? Um, I'm finding that, you know, at least within EFI, marketing is, you know, we still support majority of our day-to-day -day is marketing, but I would say a good chunk of my team's bandwidth is tied towards things like, you know, um, our support teams and our professional services, even internal IT stuff, things around finance, deal desks, order to cash, sales ops, like they're not necessarily marketing functions, but more so like business operations or customer experience type stuff, you know, the full like cycle of things. Um, and in the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, having a conversation with someone in a different functional group and you're like, oh, you know, I can support you in this. These are your pain points. Here's how I can help automate some things. And then you just tend to like, word gets out, right? And you tend to have your tentacles like gripped into other areas of the business that, you know, I find that it's super fascinating, like what you had said, and all about, you know, just speaking to other folks and just being able to speak eloquently about different areas of your organization and how the tools can help so i'm just you know i, I think we're all on the same page how mm -hmm. important it is to understand the why behind what we're doing um i'm just curious um and actually i was going to ask a question about curiosity daniel do you think do you think it's important to be curious as as marketing up folks so that we we want to try to learn that and understand how what we're doing can impact you know, our ability to go to market effectively, what's working, what's not working, how's that going to impact the sales teams, right? Things like that, that maybe are not, you know, in an early, you know, someone early in their career in marketing ops may not really understand. Yeah, I think um, actually curiosity is probably one of the biggest traits you need to have because I think one of the goals of a marketing ops person is to be a step ahead of a lot of the leaders too, like, cause you're trying to figure out how to scale for the long term, give insights on like what's going to happen, like, but from the data you've seen, and if you don't have the curiosity to learn all these new subjects, even learn about your counterparts, it's really, really hard to make a decision or give a good recommendation to your leaders. Um, so always being curious on what you can optimize, what you can, what the, what does this data point actually mean? Is it a is this actually useful data or not? There's so many things that why curiosity matters in marketing ops and in marketing in general. I think it's like a trait that you need to have if you have marketing in your title. Yeah, I no, totally no. agree with that. I was on with uh, with a, this group that um, we have some programs in our community and, and one of them we refer to is uh, called the channel takeover and it's a way to drive valuable conversations inside of a specific channel in the community and um, one of the things that they were talking about today was this idea of like just understanding the analytics part of of marketing ops and how going up funnel like upstream and downstream how that impacts the business holistically and it was like one of those things that you're just talking about right is like just trying to be curious about how data and and the structure of the data is actually going to like influence future decisions that you want to make and trying to think about you know the big picture right so it it's even when you start getting into the weeds on 
something as nuanced and specific as like data and analytics and trying to understand it, you still have to be curious and thinking about the bigger picture when it comes to all those things. So I'm really excited about like that conversation that's coming to the community soon, but it seems to like that underlying thread of curiosity and thinking about sort of the holistic view continues to permeate like throughout all of the conversations that I continue to have with folks like yourself and, you know, and some of these other folks as well. So I don't know, just sharing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it, what I think it's, it's really interesting because I think we all believe, and I actually think it's a trait that the best marketing ops people have is that they're curious and want to understand stuff. And, but uh, I don't know about you and Daniel, this may be, actually, I think Daniel and Amy, you've got sort of two different perspectives. Maybe, you know, my experience was way before I did marketing ops, I was in consulting. And so I got used to asking lots of questions and not being afraid to not have an answer always, right? That I, I got, I want to go figure it out. But I feel like there's a lot of people that part of why they may be curious, but they may not be comfortable asking questions or when they're asked a question, not being comfortable saying, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go find out. And then doing that legwork. I'm, yeah. I, and I say Naomi and Daniel, like Daniel, because you've now been, you've done both kind of in house and consulting. And Naomi, I don't think you've done consulting, um, right? I'm just curious. I'm now I'm my wheels are turning. Like, is there something about consulting that makes you comfortable with that? So, no. So I haven't officially uh, worked for a consulting agency, no. But I think that sometimes you can. You can say that, you know, the companies that I've worked for, especially with different business units, um, I kind of feel like an in-house consultant sometimes, especially when they're, you know, differing within the business units, differing um, agendas or different priorities and things like that. So it does feel like, um, you, you know, you're working at a working at an cons internal consulting agency almost, um, but with like a handful of dedicated clients as opposed to always onboarding new ones. So. Yeah, I love that I see Daniel's head nodding in, in agreement here. Like, what's what's your take, Daniel? I I think that for me to get in this role of a consultant, I feel like great marketing ops orgs, the great marketing orgs see marketing as a consultant or a strategic advisor. I think that when marketing ops isn't seen as a strategic advisor, like, and as a support function, that makes it hard for them to be curious like when they pigeonholed by what the marketing leader says that they have to do or this marketing leader has to or they just doing all these tickets and they just oh my job is just to be supporting marketing i'm not supposed to give my advice or anything i think that's when it happens but if you're in an org that you're lucky enough to be that strategic advisor that consultant that feeling i think it's very transferable to like being an outside consultant because all you do all day is help the leaders make strategic decisions. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting. So all those, you know, you listeners out there who are curious, but haven't, haven't had the opportunity or haven't been comfortable speaking up or, or asking those questions. Like I encourage you to do that. That's, I think it's, will make a big difference in where you go, but I want to kind of shift topics a little bit. Um, we kind of, we've kind of been going on this a little bit, Mike, Mike, has declared that this is uh, the the 2022 is the year of the marketing ops professional, and it, it in some ways I think I've started seeing some things that are that I hadn't seen regularly like VP level jobs that are marketing ops and things like that. What like Daniel? Do you, are, are you seeing a difference in kind of the perception or both the maybe the perception and the reality of what how marketing ops is viewed 
um, in some of your clients or your own experience? Yeah, I think um, like the function of like go to market strategy and ops is becoming a a newer and a function that's happening. So I think a lot of people are looking for that leader that can come in and see the bigger picture because before I think the tech stack was stuck to like, oh, these one or two or three tools, but now you have to know about like data warehouse and how data pipes through like segment and more broadly. And I don't think a lot of marketing professionals know about that. So they, they're leaning on your like marketing ops person, like come in and help me do this. Cause I, I need to make strategic decisions and I can't right now. Um, because all the data is happening. And if, I don't think you, if you don't have that in your function, a great marketing ops leader, it's hard to win with all the competition these days. Cause there's so much data out there, so much more competition, so much more tools that you need someone that could look at the big picture and be like, how do I, with data, with tech, with insights and help the marketing org see it from a, a big picture view. Yeah, I don't know. So it's interesting you bring up, you went right into data and insights because over the, really over the last probably 24 months, two years or so, I think my view of if I was to start a, a new marketing ops team, I don't know that somebody with super like deep, like whose focus primarily will be on data and analytics and insights would be the first hire, but it'd be second or third. And or or I'd be looking for people who could do that, you know, have that skill set and can do, say, tech ops or something like that. I don't know. Naomi, are you seeing more more need for I that? Think so. where yeah, you are? definitely. I you're just I think it's one of those things where you don't know that you need it until you have it or you miss you know, it's like kind of the chicken or the egg cart or horse type situation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you don't know mm -hmm. until you you do know? Yeah. yeah. And from like a curiosity perspective, there's like going back to that idea when you sort of have an idea of what questions you can ask and get answers from data, right? Like, I know I want an answer to this type of question, but I don't really know how to make the data help me see that. And, and sometimes you're not even educated on how that works. And so like, the chicken or the egg cart and the horse thing like sometimes you need someone to sort of like open your mind for a second and be like no, no let me show you what's possible with with like when you start to pull in all these like multi-threads of sources and stuff like that so i could see it being like a second definitely a second person it was interesting from that same conversation you know that i was having earlier with these folks around data and analytics is um they basically said like, hey, you, you sort of need to know SQL in order to use this tool effectively. And I was like, that sucks because like, I've written like three SQL things in my life, right? And the last time I did it was like 10 years ago, like probably more than that. Um, and so it's interesting, like, are we moving in a direction where we're kind of adding yet another skill set that we need to like tack on to this operational role, this marketing ops role? Um, and then... You know, I realize there's pillars of marketing ops, but I don't know, like, what do you think, Daniel? Do you think you need to be like savvy enough in like SQL and, you know, manipulating data in order to call yourself a marketing ops pro, or does that start segmenting you into a new category? 
No, I think, I don't think you need that, the sequel stuff, but I think you have to know, like, be able to interpret data and understand where the data came from and where, how it gets to that, that place. I think you can hire for people with SQL or data analysts and stuff like that. But I think like, as you get into those director and VP level roles, I think marking up splits out to like insights and process. It's not just like focusing on tech stack. It's also focusing like the insights part of it where you, that, that insights part makes you become more of a strategic advisor because now you're looking at data and can give decisions to the marketing leaders, like where to go next and stuff like that. Like I like to, and going back to a question you asked or earlier, what I've learned from some guests on the marketing millennials, like there's this, um, guy who wrote the book alchemy named Rory Sutherland. And he, he said that you can, a lot of marketing roles are like one piece of a Sudoku puzzle. Like you can't solve a Sudoku puzzle with one piece. You need all the pieces. And I don't think that like, and what I think marketing ops sees is the whole Sudoku puzzle because you have to be talking to all the functions in marketing. And I think even like the CMO is so busy that they don't see it. So like, we're the ones who see like the Sudoku puzzle for like the tech, the data, and we can like help make the strategic decisions. So that's why I think like, I think that like future CMOs are going to be marketing house people because they see the bigger picture. That's my, my thought process, but because a lot of it is like knowing data, knowing tech, knowing finance, and that's just my prediction in the future. You'll see more and more going. We need to introduce you to, to Vivian. It's just thinking the same I thing. Actually, I'm, I'm seeing her yeah. on Saturday for dinner. I'm going to be like, hey, I know a guy. You should uh, speak to him. I, I know this guy, Daniel. <laughs> I know a guy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so Daniel, you, you, you're, it's like yours was an echo of uh, Vivian Chan, who was a guest mm-hmm. half a year ago-ish yeah. on, our, on our podcast. And she said the same thing, right? Her sort of provocative statement was that future CMOs would be, there would be a lot more of them ro- rising up out of marketing ops expertise i think that's um maybe maybe that's the that's like that's the true indicator right that more people are talking about that as a potential career path to get to the cmo level that this is you know a a, uh i don't know what you would call it but a you know a a pivotal point in in the in the the professional world of marketing yes i mean i think you don't have to want that right it's certainly a path um and if you get versed in the broader spectrum of marketing capabilities and know-how then it's helpful to head that direction but like i still think that there's a a home for people who want to stay sort of on the technical you know i want to think about the go-to-market strategy and the technologies we need to be able to execute that piece that's not necessarily the cmo yeah i i I agree with that i think there's i think there's i think like anybody in their career. Like, I think there's people who want to stay as like, like if you want to be a CMO, you really going to have to like love numbers and you have to really have to like love talking to finance and a bunch of people all day and not focus on what you love, like, which could be the tech stack or technical capabilities, or if you're the head of demand gen love, like running campaigns and stuff like that. Like you don't do that much when you're a CMO. So like, 
I think like you have to like know that like the reason I say that some marketing ops people are going to become CMOs is because the way marketing ops is becoming is like, I think like that insights part is becoming more and more part of the function where I started marketing, I came up with marketing automation. So like all I thought about it was like tech. And then I was like, oh goodness, like now I have to like become better at learning insights now. And now my last role, I was doing a lot more insights than I've ever done, but that taught me so much um, about marketing and marketing ops and the new version of marketing ops that is evolving. Yeah, totally agree. No, well, Naomi, I mean, like when about saying something. about mar when Daniel was saying about marketing, yes, the new version of marketing ops. I'm like, is it like a marketing ops 2.0, and what does that look like? I feel like there's a group of organizations and and leaders where business leaders where we're still trying to convince on the benefits of marketing ops but then it's it's interesting because then you also have a group of people who have been working in the industry for quite a long time and we're kind of like defining um what that next chapter looks like and does the gap get wider or is there like a catch-up period that i don't know it's a really interesting idea right that maybe there's haves and have nots in terms of if it is marketing ops 2.0 <laughs> mm -hmm. right that, that's being interesting i mean but in, in some ways i think i'm seeing some of that actually yeah we are i mean look was that we there's a book out now it's from backroom to boardroom right and it's it's literally about how marketing ops becomes a part of the c-suite or the leadership table um or is just the right hand person to 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 the executive kind of leader in marketing um, and so you're maybe not the CMO, but you will be a C-level something and you're really advising that, that role strategically. Um, and we're seeing that shift. And, you know, I, I think I saw just recently, again, another VP of marketing ops role out there. Uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name right now and I should remember it, but he left Slack, right. And went, uh, moved on to a new role and, that's incredible. Like we're seeing a lot of those VP level titles where gosh, just three years ago, there was like almost zero. Right. So maybe it really is the, so the I guess the question, and this is just a, this is not like, I'm not expecting an answer for this. So the question is, are these VP or senior director and higher marketing ops roles? Are they born out of, um, I guess the question is, are they there because someone was there and escalated internally and then left? Or are they there because they're new roles and the organization has deemed that it's important to have this as a role? Ooh. Right. It's a good mm. question. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Daniel, between the two between our two podcasts, we're gonna go figure yeah, this out. We should have a poll. <laughs> Yeah, I'm interested to know the answer. I think, <clears throat> I think it could be a little bit of both. I think like I'm seeing more and more people, like have, like it's not even RevOps. RevOps is splitting up too. Like, like there's like go to market ops now, and then like customer ops, and they're like separated. So like things are even splitting up that way, where like used to be like everything under revenue ops, and now like things are splitting out like and go to markets becoming like a big thing now like go to market strategy and stuff like that where like that wasn't even like that big of a function and like orgs there was like 
a small maybe a small team but now it's like go to market ops and strategy is like a, an organization that's popping up now so i'm you know i'm naomi i don't think we can answer that question but i like i'm also very interested to know what the our listeners think and what they're seeing because there's a part of me that thinks some of this is because yeah they're seeing um it's a little bit of a reaction to you know the where we what was it the great resignation or whatever we're calling this type period right where people they're finally seeing like if i lose this person if naomi leaves right we're screwed and so as part of the way to to retain people right we're, we're there's some escalation in titles and compensation and that kind of stuff which is not necessarily a bad thing I'm just saying, like, I I wonder if it's that, or if it's actually sort of sort of a fundamental shift in the in the perception and the in the expectations of the role. Wow, I got three people silenced. I don't think I've ever pulled that off. <laughs> um, all right, so th this let's let's move on because I think we could probably we'll probably circle around the drain on this one for a while, but um. Definitely interested. I'm, I was really excited to hear the, the Daniel your take that you know future CMOs. You know, there's there's the chance for people to come out of marketing ops for that. I think that's something that I'm I'm excited about. Um, let's talk about you know one of the things I think we probably can all agree on is that there's a there's a lot of hype around technology and marketing, and now to some degree sales is catching up too in terms of the, the number of tools and things like that. But yeah, a few days ago, another you know another friend of the podcast, Daryl Alfonso, had something on LinkedIn where he was asking like, "What's the most overrated marketing tech?" Um, curious, like I I know how I voted, um, and I you know I actually had, I think he had four things. I probably would have put, if I could have done two votes. There were two that I were, were clearly above for me. But curious, what would you say, Daniel, are kind of overrated tech or or maybe misunderstood is maybe the other way to think about it. Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't see Daryl's poll, so I gotta think about that. But what's overrated? Um, Gosh, that's a great question. I think question. one of them was like, it's, well, it was like ABM solutions. Uh, ABM was one. Uh, what do they call it? I only see conversational, oh yeah, conversational marketing, like bots. Those were the, I know those two because those are the two that would have been top of my list. So just... yeah, I would definitely ABM ABM is overrated to me. So like I don't even I feel like most marketing is just AB like account based marketing. Like in my my opinion, <laughs> like because you're like going after a list of people. Like okay, yes, like ABM at scale for like B two B at least. So I think like that and also like intent based stuff means that you're cap a lot of time is like you're capturing people when they're in buying motion, but like great marketing should get people create demand as well. So like, this is like, you're just capturing intent of people that are already looking in the field and like maybe like fighting against competitors for that instead of like going out to the market and beating people before they get to do the research. Like for example, like, some tech that I heard about from like in a community and then I'm researching about it, like, like someone's has to create demand somewhere. And I think that's like intent is just like weird to me. Like I've never 
I've never been a big fan of ABN tools. Like I don't recommend it for a lot of people. Um, I also so think I've, I've I've always thought like ABM. It's I think somebody chimed in on that, right? I, ABM A is is a it's a strategy, not just a technology. And and second, I be, I, I believe in most places where I've been, right, you could probably achieve a step forward in the in an ABM strategy with other tech that you already probably already have like marketing automation and and things like that. So sorry I interrupted you, Daniel. No, that I think that's a great answer too. I think it's like a lot of people are just I think it's just it became a buzzword because marketing vendors made it a buzzword instead of like um it actually being like when it's been done for years, like it just like oh, let's call it, give a buzzword so then we can make technology around it that could fit the buzzword of ABM, which a lot of marketing vendors do that anyway with a lot of things. Um, they're which they're really make... good at, at creating FOMO, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, we aren't using like the best like lead scoring in the world or we're not using the best like marketing attribution. You should get that tool like to do that. They just create stories that people latch on to because, and then... It becomes totally. a tool or like becomes everything everybody using. Um, totally. So. I, I think for there are there are moments in this journey we've all been on for MarTech and, and broadly the technologies that serve all these different functions where there really isn't a clear like category name yet. And somebody has the opportunity to, to sort of name it. And so like I think there's two really clear examples of that. One of them is ABM. There's a strategy that nobody sort of like put a broad stroke name to, and then they created a technology for it. It was born out of like, you know, the flip my funnel movement and all that stuff. And the other clear example of that is creating high value, good content for SEO, otherwise known as inbound marketing, right? And HubSpot like categorically named that thing. And it was like, cool, just like create really good content that people are looking for and be helpful. And like, we call that inbound marketing and they created a category and they named it and nobody had named it yet. And before it was just like SEO and whatever, but they're like, no, 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 like this is inbound <laughs> instead of outbound. <laughs> and that's, I mean, Hey, it's a great way to describe it. Don't get me wrong. No, like flack on them, no flack on the category leaders that created ABM, but there's just opportunities that people sees or companies sees and they name it. And then, yeah, I think that's what happens. <laughs> did, did they, so I'm, did they kind of come up with the concept of inbound marketing to sort of describe a strategy? And then they, obviously they had technology that could support it, but they've never, have they, do they describe their technology as inbound marketing? <laughs> I mean, I think that's the, that's what I'm trying to get. Like ABM went from very quickly from, a concept to technology called after it. And that's the part that rubs me the wrong, well, maybe not rubs me, but I think that's where it has created like a lot of hype about the technology without a lot of people really understanding the the strategy and all the things internally that you need to do from a process standpoint to make the technology work to scale. Yeah, I think uh, when you start tracing the roots of where ABM came from, you'll see you'll see why that sort of happened. <laughs> like there needed to be large funding rounds and then technology built on top of it. And then everybody got really excited. And it was this big hype cycle. Um, 
I don't want to like totally misspeak or put words in the mouth of the founders of HubSpot or anything like that, but I had a really unique opportunity to sit across from Darmesh at an inbound conference, like just very, very privately, like one-on-one -on -one with my, my co-founder of the company that I was with. And we just asked a couple of questions <laughs> and their piece of advice was like, don't write the book on the movement before sort of like trying to create, like, don't create a category. <laughs> like it's the hardest thing you can possibly do if you're like literally creating a category. Um, so they actually like literally wrote a book on inbound and then sort of referred to their tool as like the tool to enable inbound and like push this movement. But over time that's changed, right? Like, so I, I don't want to like, I'm not, I'd have never worked there. I, that's just my experience. Uh, but yeah, they definitely sort of created a category. And I think people seize those opportunities and that's what we, you know, that's what we find. <laughs> No issue no. with that. I mean, it's the year of the marketing ops pro. I'm seizing, uh, I don't know. That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> right. Well, so, okay. So there's probably a bunch of things that we probably could list out of sort of overhyped or kind of overrated or kind of technologies. Any, I'm going to flip it over. Like, is there, are there any things out there that you, any, from a technology standpoint that you found that, you know, I hate to call it low-hanging fruit, but something that is relatively low-cost, low-effort, maybe a behind-the-scenes kind of thing that you think is a technology that like, we should all be thinking about. That is for Daniel. Um, Low-cost is very hard. Um, but, yeah, true. Uh, yeah. Um, but I, I do – I'll go on, like, the non-low-cost. I think a lot of companies, like – have an opportunity to seize a data warehouse as the source of truth instead of like a CRM um, because the amount of things that could store in there and the amount of things that happen. I think like Salesforce wasn't built to handle all the data that's happening now and all like the touch points that marketing has and all all the things that need to be stored because so many things get overridden in Salesforce and it's hard sometimes to add new fields in Salesforce if you've been talking talk to Salesforce teams. So, so, sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> always, uh, always. So yeah, so like having a data warehouse where like something is separated, where you can store every piece of data that's like future ICP, future TAM, like, and it's not all in your marketing automation tool, or not all in your CRM. I think that is like the newer movement that I'm seeing with a lot of like companies is that that's becoming the source of truth and they're moving away from using like Salesforce and a marketing automation to do that. And a lot of companies are also using segment to push data to a bunch of different sources where before it was just like, okay, lead comes in, goes to marketing automation, marketing automation to CRM. And it was very like simple, but now like there's all this product led growth and, data and product and you want to, all that data to be pushed to multiple places at once and not just be siloed in mm -hmm. tools. Um, so I think that is like a newer movement that you're seeing with the tech stack where like people are using more data warehouses and um, tools like that um, for their, mar their tech stack. I think that's a huge opportunity for, for people. It's definitely not cheap. Um, but I, I think we've said a couple of times on this show, like I've yet to see 
an organization that's implemented some sort of like data solution, data warehouse solution that was like, wow, that really hit the mark. We're really crushing it now, but maybe it's just because it's still too early. So I think there's like, there's a lot of like pie in the sky kind of thoughts around in a perfect world. <laughs> this is how we leverage this thing. But I also agree with, uh, I was talking to, to Dan McGaw today, Daniel. Um, and mm. I, I tend to agree with one of the things that he and I were just talking about, which was there's a chance where these marketing automation providers are going to be seen as kind of old tools, like old tech. And they're going to be like a little bit by the wayside because all of a sudden you're going to have the capabilities to do all of this segmentation and like splitting up like your targeting reach from a, from a snowflake or, or what have you, right? Some sort of data warehouse. And then you can just push it into an email provider that's like way more cost effective than having to do all this like smart logic stuff, right? So what's going to like, what's going to happen? Fun. It's kind of funny you said that because I was going to say that something that's becoming starting to become overrated is like those big marketing automation providers. Um, because like customer.io, which is cheaper, could do a lot of mm -hmm. stuff where you could, you don't need that big bulky Marketo anymore. Um, you could use that instead. And then you could push, you have to push data to multiple places and it's just easier to use something like that. So I'm seeing a lot of people move to like customer.io now and instead of using like a Marketo ops mm -hmm. It's weird. Naomi's like, Naomi's like, I'm just fighting words. I mean, it's She's like, I'm sticking with me. my no, Marketos. No, no, no. <laughs> no, you evaluate other tech too. I do love, I'm a Marketo fan. I'm a, I, I, I love Marketo. It does a lot, but I still think that like a lot, a lot of companies are just moving into like using a segment, a customer.io and then like a data warehouse or something like that. Like they're just like not using bulky um, marketing automation tools anymore. So it's a weird thing to think about, right? Where so so getting back to this idea of like, what does it take to be in marketing ops? right? You largely, you'll find people that are very well-versed in one category of mar uh, marketing automation platform. And then as you start to branch into like, no, I understand how technologies can be integrated and woven together. And I see this opportunity for this like sort of maybe bigger play. Um, then like, so what do you do? You just go learn like how do you learn that part right <laughs> like who are you trying to hire <laughs> well this almost this this almost comes back to our the very first part of our conversation where like you've got to understand the bigger mm -hmm. picture and be open-minded about right um learning like is there is there yeah i don't know that there's a right or wrong answer to any of this and i think that's the challenge right is there's always but there are trade-offs I think there's trade-offs. And the more you understand, yeah, there no, there're definitely trade-offs. That's almost like I don't know that there's any debate about that. There's trade-offs in almost everything in the decision in life, let alone in this. But this in this case, I think it's really interesting. I think I heard the first sort of um talk to somebody who like like Daniel described, right? They're using 
a relatively low cost email provider. I don't remember it was segment, but something like that, a uh, relatively low cost CRM. And it was enough for what they needed to do. It was going to allow them actually not only as a startup to scale, it was probably could, I could see a pretty good argument that it could be what they need even for a pretty long time period. And I mean, there's something to be said right now. I think, yeah, obviously HubSpot continued to grow independently, but every one of the other ones has been acquired, all the other big three. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that there's now starting to be, I mean, we, you know, we need to do another state of the union, right? I, but I haven't seen a ton of like really innovative change coming out of any of these platforms in a while. Yeah. And I, and I, right. I mean, most of what they're doing, trying to do is bolt on other stuff that other sort of small things. I think, I think so like Daniel, you're talking about like being able to see some of these category you know, leaders followed by the wayside from some of these other technology solutions. And, you know, there's like going back to this comment about trade-offs, right, Michael, where you're saying like, Hey, if, but if I have Marketo, there's sort of like sort of guardrails in place. Like you, you, you like, I at least understand what the system kind of is telling me I, I am capable of doing and I can hire somebody to go figure out what the heck is going on. Right. There's an ecosystem yeah, behind and, it of, people and experts and other bolt-on technologies. Yeah. And so like, if I want to now go to this other movement, I've convinced my organization <laughs> that there's a need to pull everything apart because we'll be able to do so much more. What happens when that person who sort of leads that charge, like, isn't there anymore? <laughs> there are no guardrails. And how do you figure out how all this stuff works and how do you weave it all back together? And so pulling that back into like what's happening maybe with HubSpot. Now, everybody knows I'm a HubSpot fan guy, but like when you see that they're focused on allowing there to be guardrails, but continuing to add on more and more and more capabilities that are all within the same code base, not code that isn't actually interwoven together, but it's literally within the same code base. They, they match it that changes the game a little bit because now you're you're working inside of one ecosystem and you can still go figure out what's going on and it's all still within sort of the same sort of environment of experts that are out there and you're not trying to figure out how did somebody piece together a snowflake with a segment with a customer io with a you know all this stuff and so you know we'll see what happens but i think they have an like an interesting opportunity to continue on the track record that they're on but going back to what you're saying daniel like gosh, I don't know what's going to happen if people start moving in the direction of, yeah, this person created this like amazing machine, but then they left because they like felt like they needed to get paid more money or they were fed up with tech and they wanted to go like start their own thing and, you know, I don't know, build homes or something like businesses are going to be left like in the dust. Like, how do you deal with that? So I don't know that we have answers for any of these questions, but I think they're all really interesting things to think about as we're seeing some of the shifts in the market. Yeah, I also think that like, when you start thinking about like, marketing technology, not just as like marketing technology, and you think of it as like revenue, like technology, and it's for like the revenue org, then you have more people to talk to and more people to see the bigger picture with I think it helps a lot. I do agree, though, that it will take longer for this movement because there is more 
Marketo experts out there. There is more like HubSpot experts out there. There's um, there's a bunch of that in the in the industry, so it's hard to move to these newer stacks. But also going back to what Michael was saying before about consulting, I think like marketing technology has moved into more like asking like how does this technology fit with like the value of like the marketing goals and the value of the business instead of like uh, like i felt like before like a lot of people were just buying things because everybody was buying it or like it was like everybody had marketo so like this buy marketo like now it's like more asking like what is marketo going to solve for my business today and is it going to support or down three years down the line, how's it gonna fit into our overall org goal? And I think like, that's a bigger question. It's like, Marketo might work for your org because that's your goal. It might not work if you're like a product-led growth company and you're trying to do a bunch of things like with data and you can't, and it's, you're stuck. So it all comes down to being, having that consultant mentality and asking those questions, I think. Well, I think Naomi, you've talked a number of times about how you're kind of regularly reassessing your tech stack, and to, you know, do we need to, do we need to cut something? Do we need to add something? And I think that's that's another one of those sort of underrated things about marketing ops. People need to learn mm -hmm. yeah, how to do like effectively clearing house a bit, right? Because sometimes it's, you know, if there's not adoption across the organization, I don't want to pay for something that people don't use no matter how great of a tool it is right and depending on how much um impact or potential i think it might have i'll usually give it you know maybe i'll give it another shot like hey let's do the renewal and then you know it, because it's two sides right it part of it could also be just the technology adoption or me not um um, pushing or training our business partners to really like utilize the platform or, you know, integrate it into their, um, uh, their marketing or content life cycles or whatnot. Um, so it just really depends. Right. And so sometimes what I'll even do is I'll even like disable, um, accounts within the entire platform and see if anybody notices if they don't, then it's like, why are we this? <laughs> Yeah. How do yeah. We figure yeah. out if this is something we need. Just yeah, I just like we'll delete all the users and then. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I've done that before mm -hmm. too. I've done that. That's a good hack. Yeah. I like that. Hey, before before we wrap up, I just want to put out to the audience since Daniel does sort of uh, not sort of you do work with Clearbit um, and for Clearbit. Uh, I visited their website today for the very first time on behalf of somebody that I'm working with. And we were both on a screen share and I've, I've actually never seen a site function the way that that one does. Like I, I, it, I, as I was about to navigate off the page, I realized that it was showing me who it thinks that I am from a company perspective. And then the entire rest of the website was customized to my experience as me, as this business. And I was completely blown away by the technology. I spent the next like 10 minutes just going through every single page. And because the company actually wasn't right, uh, I went in and I figured out that there's a way to like claim your profile on the website, which I think is an incredible move as well. Uh, but my ask of you, Daniel, is to go to somebody on the team and fix my profile because I don't work for that company anymore. <laughs> However, it was an incredible experience. <laughs> and holy cow, talk about like a demo live on a website. Like, so for those of you that haven't visited the Clearbit site, yeah, shameless plug for them. Like that was really cool. I, so anyway. <laughs> It happened today, Interesting. so that's why I'm bringing it up. It was an accident. <laughs> that's great. 
Well, Daniel, I, I feel like, like we just scratched the surface of what we could have talked about. Um, but I think we're going to have to wrap it up here. Any, any final thoughts for our audience on, yeah, that we, something you really wanted to make sure we covered that we didn't or just curious. No, I would just say that like to marketing ops folks out there, keep fighting to be the strategic advisor and keep pushing towards that. Like, I don't think you're a support role. You're, you're more valuable than you think. And that's why you see this great resignation right now, because if a marketing ops person leaves, like the, the org is pretty much like shook for a while. So keep fighting and you know, you're, you're more valuable than anybody gives you credit for. So that's what my last parting words. Love yeah, it. that's awesome. Well, Daniel, so we, we've talked a little bit about marketing millennials. So obviously people can kind of, uh, go listen to your podcast. Any, any other, like where, where can people kind of keep up with you or if they wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, my LinkedIn DMs are open. Um, just don't sell me um, <laughs> the first the first like message. But yeah, any questions, you can go on my LinkedIn DMs. I'm on Twitter at DMER68. And then I also have the Marketing Millennials page, which I, I think is fun. I think it's like a marketing meme page. So I have fun with that all the time too. So you can go follow that it. as well. It's so it's so funny you bring up the you know getting the the LinkedIn connection request followed by the pitch and we, <laughs> we just, just talked talk about, about that, that this morning. Slack yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> it is it feels like it's just it's picked up in the last few like since the turn of the the, the calendar. It's just everybody's like I got so, targets. Just so for the, if you're out there listening to this and you're thinking about doing that to me, like yeah, I'm going to disconnect <laughs> from you and block you. So also go listen to our <laughs> podcast about how to sell the marketing ops. Mic drop. <laughs> yes. Present your deck to me backwards. There you go. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, I love it. Daniel, this has been super fun. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Um, thank you to everybody, all, all of you listening out there. Continue to send us your feedback and suggestions, uh, good or bad. And then uh, if you're interested or in being a guest or you know somebody who would be a good guest, get a hold of me, Naomi, or Mike. Till next thank time. You. Thanks, everybody. Bye.